You're listening to a teaching from Sundown Church. We hope you encounter God through our podcast and experience freedom in your life. Uh, let's look at the, just the, the first couple of verses of Luke chapter 15. Then drew near unto him all the publicans and sinners for to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes murmured, saying, This man receives sinners, and he eats with them. So we start here tonight by asking this question, What does this tell us about Jesus? And it certainly then prompts the second question, Since he now lives in us, what does it say about us? And I want, us to get, I want us to get both messages. I want us to get what it says to us about him, but I'm equally eager for us to hear what he's then saying about us. Because if I start right here and say, then drew near unto him all the publicans and sinners for to hear him. And the Pharisees murmured and the scribes murmured saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. If I stopped right there, and I would ask you uh, really about two things. What does it say about, about Jesus from the perspective of those who were sinners and publicans? What did they see when they saw him? If they're going if they're, if they're to draw near to him, he must have been approachable. Whatever his demeanor was, whatever his character was, whatever you know, whatever the atmosphere was around him, they felt comfortable with it. So he was approachable. He touched them. And I love this part about understanding who Jesus was. He touched them when they came to him because he wasn't afraid of being infected with what they had. Why was he not afraid to be infected with what they had? Yeah, greater is he that is in me than he that's in the world. I don't have to be afraid that I'm going to be contaminated by somebody because there's someone in me, someone around me, someone working through me that is stronger emitting from me than somebody's, Satan's ability to penetrate that. Now we need to understand something about this because what makes us approachable? Should we, we should be, by the same token, as approachable as Jesus was. The same atmosphere around us, the same presence around us, the same situations around us should make us equally approachable. Now, sometimes we recognize that we're not, but Jesus is, we're recognizing, he was. By those who were rejected the most. But what, is, what also does it say about him from perspective of those who were, who were religious. How'd they see him? He's eating with people with no help. Yeah. He, he, they saw him as a threat. They saw him as wrong. They saw him as being everything that they did not want. So, again, from our perspective, that's the way religion saw Jesus. How will religion generally see us? The exact same way. We cannot be surprised 
if we find opposition to the things that God's doing through us at any time from those who are religious. I mean, I'm not pointing out anything that we don't readily already know. I, I rarely start a Bible study, especially with people who are in the Bible study for the first time. That I don't tell them, now, I'm not telling you that you shouldn't do this, but I will tell you if you do this, if you take any point that I teach you and you go discuss it with your pastor, I can assure you what your pastor is going to tell you to do. Your pastor is going to tell you to run. Don't go back. Don't listen to this. I can assure you that's what you're going to hear. And it happens, and I'm, not, I'm never surprised by it because, you know, I, I don't, I'm not teaching things that seem that odd to me or even seem necessarily that odd to you. But when you say some of those things that, that, that we believe, that we teach, that are right here, then we're, the, the greatest chance of an opposition or somebody standing up and saying, I don't believe that, isn't coming from the publicans and sinners described here. It's going to come from those who have a religious position and they're, and they're bothered by it. So we get, we get right off the bat here, we get to recognize that Jesus was approachable. He loved. We love it. And when that love comes through us, we also become approachable. From him, there was no condemnation. There was no judgment. Uh, no separation from those who other people despised. His truth was compelling and liberating. Now, again, please understand, I'm not going to say anything about him tonight that's not absolutely true of you and I sitting here. Any list I can give you about Jesus, I'm going to give you about you and I. Here we are, same list. A people where there is no condemnation, a people where there is no judgment. Will there be discernment? Yes. Judgment comes from a different place. But, but no condemnation, no judgment. Do we understand how hard that is? No, let's go further. Do we understand how impossible that is unless we let the Holy Spirit live through us? Because if I remove the Spirit and what's, if I take the Spirit out and I'm left with my mind and I'm left with my emotions, then the first thing I'm going to do is make a mental assessment and, a, and an emotional comparison, and I'm going to deem some things right and some things wrong. When you, when, when you put the Spirit in the story, and the Spirit is now the one who's, who is, I'm yielding my mind to, I'm yielding my emotions to, the Spirit himself has no reason to make that type of mental assessment. So no judgment, no condemnation, no separation from those people that other people despise. Is that needed? We don't typically despise many people in our circle. It can still happen. But we have a real tendency because we are, we are such players now on a world stage, we create people that we despise in large people groups 
around the world. The right will despise the left. The left will despise the right. The right will, dis will despise the ones in the middle. The left despises the ones in the middle. We, we despise people from foreign countries. We despise people of different nationalities and beliefs. Despising people is a very normal thing we find within our humanity, but when the spirit is inserted, that which we despise has, will, will dynamically change. His truth was compelling and liberating. Your truth is compelling. I wish we would see ourselves in that truth. I wish we would understand that you and I sitting here tonight are the very vehicle by which God has determined to release his power. We are, we are compelling people. We live as if we are mediocre in many things and, and, and insignificant in most. And God is saying, but when you see yourself that way, you have reduced the very vessel by which I have determined to pour myself out on the rest of the world. And we're making ourselves insignificant. Our truth that we teach and tell and live is compelling. It is powerful. It is liberating. Why do most people not live free? Because the people who are supposed to don't know how to do it, live in as much bondage, live as much in their mental processing as in the spiritual trust that they have and wonder then why the rest of the world doesn't live in freedom. We are sitting here tonight free in all things. Free. Not necessarily because I feel free in all things, but it's been declared and spoken over me. Once again, freedom is not something that you get over time. Freedom was given to you in the gift. It's part of your destiny to be free. Just like intimacy with God. Part of your destiny. Freedom in your destiny. Grace in your destiny. Mercy in your destiny. Power in your destiny. These aren't things we're trying to accomplish. These are things that God's trying to understand the fullness of them so we'll finally live in the fullness of it. So here's the real question. Who else would have come. Now we're going back in the, this is the parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the, of the piece of silver, and the parable of the prodigal son here in chapter 15. Who else could have come to rescue the sheep? Only the shepherd. Who could have come to save the world? Who else could have done it? You see, yeah, there's no one. There, there's, there's not a plan B. There's not a backup. There's not an alternative to the one who was coming to save the world, to bring the truth, to bring the revelation, to bring the transformation. Who else could have done it? Mark chapter 2 verse 17 says, they that are whole have no need of the physician, but they that are sick. I come not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Sinners 
to change your mind. Jesus is announcing, I came, I am the only one who could come and transform the world. Well, why didn't he stay then? There's a whole lot of world to be transformed if he was the only one who could come and transform the world. Why didn't he just stay and do it? We know the answer to this. It's not even hard to come up with. He told us clearly in John 14 and 15 and 16, it's imperative that I go away. Because if I go away, that spirit that lived in me can then, and I pay, if I pay the price for your sin and I clear you of that, then that spirit that lives in me can come and live in you. So instead of there being one who can come and transform the world, there will be millions of us who can come and change the world. Do we see ourselves as one of those millions? Why don't Christians understand this? Why don't we understand that if Jesus was the only one and he chose to put himself in me by his spirit, that I become the one? What is the one now? His body. We're one body. As he was one body, we're still one body sent to transform the world. Not by our power, not by our strength, saith the Lord. By His, we are prepared for this moment. I love what Parker said on Sunday morning. I'd never heard him say it quite like that, but I love the picture as he referred back to us being the emergency room, and that wasn't going to stay, but I love the picture of adding the ambulance service. Because that simply means that we are engaging people at a different place we're t treating them, tending to them in a different place. Some will end up in the emergency room. Some will be attended to by the, by, the, by the ambulance attendants on the ground where they go. Man, great picture. Because the vision, you know, has been so different for me since the Lord, what we talked about last week. So different for the different visions that God is, is giving but, but these visions, to, for them to really take root, for them to thrive, we all have to see ourselves as the, as the one God chose. As he chose his son, Jesus explained it well. I'm going away because the price I'm going to pay in my going will free you from that sin nature that you have so that you can receive my nature, that spirit that now lives in me can live in you. So instead of the spirit of God living in one man, the spirit of God, the power of God can rest on all of you. But we have to see ourselves as that. We have to know what he did. We have to understand what he did. The coming of Jesus is absolutely necessary because no one can purchase a pardon for himself. We would have never seen a Savior if there had been no fall in the garden. Eden's failure secured Calvary's victory. That choice made at that point created the victory that you and, I, you and I now live in. And here is a self-evident truth. We don't have to debate these points. 
none but the guilty will ever accept a pardon. Why does that matter? Yeah. Mm -hmm. We don't see ourselves as guilty, so we don't need a pardon. But the minute that by his spirit we know we're guilty, we will, we will desire a pardon. None but a sinner will accept a savior. None but the diseased will ever seek a cure. And none but, a, none but the starving or a wasteful son will ever turn toward home. So let's read that for just a second. Just for, go down later in, in chapter 15. I'm going to begin reading in verse 14. This is part of what Parker read on Sunday morning. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land, and he began to be in want. Do you see the world that way? If we accuse them, or judge them, or condemn them, we will never see them as the prodigal. We will see them as the elder brother saw his younger brother. Again, what would have happened if on his journey home, the elder brother had gotten to him before the father did? What would the encounter have looked like? Oh, yeah, scolded. You have no right here. You don't belong here. The very actions of the elder would have caused the younger to turn away from home. If we don't see the broken, if we don't see the ones that other people despise, if we don't see the ones that other people have condemned, others have judged as the prodigal, we will by nature function like the elder brother. When we see them and know them as the prodigal, we will stand and watch. We will eagerly, eagerly accept them, run toward them, and embrace them. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would fain have filled his belly with the husk that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. Again, my mind turns in really big circles. <coughs> that song uh, that I played a few weeks ago uh, by uh, Kathy Lee Gifford and, uh, my goodness, Mullen, Nicole Mullen, uh, A God Who Sees. When she starts the first chorus, does anybody hear? Does anybody know? Isn't it amazing? This is, again, my mind goes in really big circles when I hear this kind of stuff. And I see these kind of scriptures that Jesus was using to, to create an illustration. Not only of the father, but of the condition of the prodigal. What's the condition of the prodigal? No man would help me. No one cared. 
No one knows. No one notices. And I, I wonder. I wonder how far we would have to walk leaving this sanctuary if we could actually had this radar on and says, I want to know the first person that's thinking those things about themselves tonight. I wonder how far away from this church we'd have to walk to find that person. Somebody that's concluded nobody cares, nobody notices, nobody thinks I matter. I wonder how far we'd have to walk to find that first person. My guess is we, we wouldn't get past a block. There's probably some in the church. Uh-huh. Yeah. I, I just came from Austin, and, uh, and where, you know, where our daughter lives is a very nice part of Austin, lives in Westlake. And, and you go up and down those streets, and you believe these people could have no problems. I mean, from, the, from all appearance, they should have no problems. And those are the conclusions that we would draw. I would tell you, whether we're walking into the poorest neighborhood or the richest neighborhood, we probably wouldn't walk very far until that radar would go off and say, there's a person who's determined that nobody cares. What's the difference in this story? This prodigal son, this wasteful son, knew there's, I know, a place of hope. I know a place where maybe I could go. You know, I have a few of these stories, and I'm sure you do too. <clears throat> I, got, I got a knock on the door. This has been 20 years ago now, a knock on the door. And I get to the door, and there's a young man standing there. He's in his early 20s and uh, weeping. Just Shattered. I hadn't seen this kid. The last time I had really talked to him, he was in a Sunday school class when I was teaching like eight or nine, ten-year-old boys. And really, I'd had no contact with him since. But he's standing on my door, and he's asking if I'd pray with him. His wife had left him. He's taken his two boys, and he was just devastated. He said, can we go to the church and pray? So we sat here on the altar and prayed. And I asked him, I said, why did you come to my door? There was the prodigal. Because somewhere back there, he heard something or saw something. He saw kindness or heard tenderness. He saw the Spirit of God. And after all those years, he was drawn back to it. And I know y'all have got stories like that as well. See, we don't understand today. The life we're living today is the life that's going to draw them back in five years or 10 years. The kind word they received when, when others were judging and they didn't get judged, when we were there standing there with them, when everybody else had left, even in a moment, a word of encouragement after some event, something happened when you know, those kids broke into our house years ago. We were at a band trip with the girls for the state competition, we got back and, and our house had been broken into, but it was just only a few things displaced and it took me a while to even realize that somebody had been in there. 
And uh, so we, we called the police and they came and checked and they, they found the kids that had been in there. And uh, one of them, the, the policeman came and said, one of them realized when they, got, they came in the back door of your house and they saw the pictures on the walls, they realized whose house they were in. And they said, we can't do this. So this is where my parents come when we don't have food. This is where my parents come when we don't have money. And he said he couldn't, he came and talked to me later and apologized. He said, I couldn't stop the other boys from taking the things they wanted, but I stopped them from tearing your house up. He said, I, he said, I couldn't believe we were in the house of the people where my parents went when they needed help. He said, I, I don't know where those seeds go. We don't, we don't ever know. But this, this prodigal son coming to the conclusion that no one cares. But what if that somebody that, that, that no one cares thinks, well, I saw Valton do something kind one time. I saw Valton help somebody one time. I saw Diana help somebody. Where are they going to have the greatest tendency to go? Now, so, so the things we're doing now sets that stage. The next stage is what happens when they're on our doorstep. Who do they meet? The elder brother who scolds them because we know what they've been doing all this time. Or the father that says, I'm so glad to see you. I'm so glad you're here. I'm so glad you came here. I'm so glad you asked us. I'm so glad you asked me. I'm so glad that you're, I'm the one that you thought of. but they won't stay long if they meet the voice of the elder brother. They just won't stay. So let's read the rest of this. <clears throat> Verse 17, And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my fathers have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say unto him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. And I am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him, had compassion, and ran and fell on his neck. And he kissed him. There we are. The father. We will not function there if we don't see the world as the prodigal. Why could it only be Jesus? Why can it still only be Jesus? Why can't it be me? Why can't it be the best me I can create? Because the best me that I can create cannot do what the Spirit of God in me can do. We're going to turn a corner. We're already started. There are going to be many different kind of questions asked. There's going to be requests made that are going to be different than, than, maybe not different, maybe there are just more of them that, are going to be, that, are, that are, we're going to see happen. 
Because God knows where these prodigals are. God knows where these people are that have given up. And he knows the act of kindness that is going to be necessary to make them turn. And we are going to be those on that front line in those moments of kindness. And, and it may not be in that moment that they turn toward home as he did. But they will not forget if we've moved in the spirit. I know right now this is a, this is a strange one. Like, it's this, how could this matter? I, I know a lady that, that has two trees that need to be taken down. Like, how can that connect? It, well, the chain, the, the links of the chain are so tight that I cannot make it not matter. Because the conclusion is, I've mentioned this half a dozen times and nothing happens. Well, at this point of giving up, that act of kindness will be there. I describe this often. We're going to have to wake up each morning with this radar on and watch very specifically where these because God will show us the prodigal. If we will wake each day searching, saying, God, you know where they are today. You know where I'm going to encounter them. I want this radar to beep. I want some signal when I'm standing next to the prodigal. And I will assure you, if you wake up with that desire, he will, the Spirit will deliver. But it takes this awareness that I'm leaving the house this morning with a desire to discover where the prodigal is that I'm supposed to encounter today. Thanks for listening to this message. For more resources, visit sundownchurch.com.